What happens when two parent coaches, one a Christian and the other an agnostic Jew, sit down to talk about parenting? They take their listeners from surviving to thriving. I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. Welcome to Raising Adults, a podcast brought to you by Future Focused Parenting. Hello, FFPs. Kira and Dina with you again today for another episode of Raising Adults. We are both with you, but not both together. And so still missing each other, but really glad that we can continue to bring you content. And today we have an important episode where we have a guest today, Dr. Heather McGuire. She is a behavior analyst, a professor, and also a mom. And she's going to just share with us a little bit about how to navigate if you're in a family where maybe you have a child with a diagnosis. We're going to particularly talk about ADHD today, but a lot of these principles could apply more generally to other behavior or learning diagnoses. And so we look forward to sharing that with you, and we're, we're glad to have Heather's expertise. Also, we want to let you know that by the time you're hearing this, we will have been on Heather's podcast, and her podcast is called Prism Parenting. So if you like getting to hear Kira and I elsewhere, you can check that out at the Prism Parenting Podcast. Yeah, we had such a good time talking with her both times. Um, it was kind of fun getting to getting to speak with her, you know, close together, right? It was like we recorded ours and we recorded hers. And, um, and you know what I like about this episode is that a lot of the strategies that she talks about, I feel like even kids who maybe don't have anything behavioral going on, some of the stuff she talks about is is really applicable. <laughs> I feel like lots of parents are going to benefit from some of her strategies. So that's really true. Thanks for saying that. It's, that's an excellent point. So many of these things could be helpful in any home. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the interview. So today on the show, we have Dr. Heather McGuire, who is a professor, a podcaster, and a mom, and she is going to talk with us about raising kids with ADHD. So Heather, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and those three amazing parts of you? Yeah. First of all, thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, so I am a professor. I teach school psychology and school counseling classes, as well as I'm what's called a board-certified behavior analyst, BCBA. Um, you know, long story short, basically, I work with a lot of kids. Um, some of them have autism, and I provide behavioral strategies for them. Um, and then also, I have my own podcast, uh, Prism parenting. And the the basic idea behind like why I started it and what it is, it's basically trying to help parents, you know, parents of, let's say, typically developing kids, or I know we're going to talk today about ADHD, parents of kids with ADHD, you know, what, what does this look like? How can we use, you know, behavioral strategies, evidence-based strategies in the home, even if our kids don't say have a diagnosis of autism. So yeah, that's a, a little bit about me professionally. And then personally, I have two kids. Uh, Landon is my son. He is nine in the third grade. And then Addie is my daughter, Addison, and she is six in the first grade. I'm wondering, Heather, can you maybe start at the beginning for us with 
the diagnosis piece, because I think for parents, it's always challenging to get any kind of a diagnosis. And you're right at the beginning going, okay, now what? So can you tell us what that was like for you? And also because you have this professional background, how did you go about tackling that when you have both of those hats? Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about ADHD really quick. Um, So first of all, and I, I think probably people are aware of this to some degree, but ADHD looks totally different depending on the child. So some kids are predominantly inattentive. They have a hard time focusing. And other kids have more of like hyperactivity and impulsivity, right? So it's hard for them to sit still. You know, a lot of times it's hard for them to think before they act. And then some kids have what's called the, you know, comorbidity or both of those things, okay? And actually, so for my son, Landon, he wasn't diagnosed until this year. So he's nine in the third grade. And, you know, professionally, even though I knew he had a di- I knew he had ADHD, I've known for a while, um, you know, we hadn't had him officially diagnosed. He wasn't diagnosed by a doctor until recently. And, um, Real quick, too, for him, just to kind of give you guys a little bit of context, he's not really inattentive. He's, you know, he's, and actually the type that he has is that, so he's more hyperactive and impulsive. And that's one of the most, that's the most rare form of ADHD. So how it impacts him on a daily basis is like this. He has a difficult time. Um, like if he gets into an argument with his sister, you know, he is the one who might become, you know, aggressive, right? With his sister. Um, he's the one who, if you ask him to do a chore, he might, you know, it, it all of a sudden it, it's a, he lacks what's called emotional regulation. So he'll like fall on the floor. It's the end of the world. What? I have to feed the dogs. And I'm like, well, you do this twice a day. (laughs) Um, So yeah, ADHD, kind of like wrapping that part up, it it looks different depending on the child. But for him, you know, he's predominantly hyperactive impulsive. And definitely I was, before I knew you know, that I was, I had a son with ADHD. I already was a school psychologist. So I was working already in the field with kids with ADHD. And so it, you know, as Landon started to get a little bit older, when he was younger, I was like, ah, you know, I know there was a, I knew there'd be a chance maybe he'd end up with that diagnosis, but it started to become more obvious to me because I mean, okay, let's face it young boys, a lot of times they have a lot of energy. And I think for the parents out there who are listening to this, they might be like, well, my four-year-old has a lot of energy. How do I know he doesn't have ADHD? Well, in the toddler years, there is a wide range of what's normal or what's considered developmentally appropriate, right? And so, um, you know, but as time went on for us, basically what started to happen is that the gap started to widen. So, you know, previously, yeah, was he a little bit more hyperactive, you know, than the average kid? Sure. Um, But then what started to happen is that, you know, we started to notice that, you know, other kids were kind of calming down and becoming a little bit more mature, if you will, and he was still struggling with those with those things. And so right from the get-go, you know, come when we went into kindergarten, um, I 
being a behavior analyst, I reached out to his teacher and I was like, you know, um, sometimes, you know, Landon struggles sitting still. If there's anything I can do to support you, let me know. So I kind of, you know, gave her a heads up. Um, and we can get into like later some of the specific things that, you know, you know, we help the school with and what we do at home. But, you know, initially I was like, oh, you know, he's just a little bit hyperactive and I was keeping my eye on it. And then fast forward, you know, I wasn't necessarily feeling like I needed uh, a quote unquote diagnosis. Um, I knew he had ADHD, but I I wasn't feeling like I needed it until we started to consider whether or not we would um, potentially uh, be requesting medication. And so my son is on medication. Um, He has been on medication since this fall. And what we did is, you know, I just reached out to his pediatrician. Now, just I I don't know um, where where you guys are at or, you know, if you know, but still most of the time pediatricians are making the diagnosis of ADHD. Uh, There are obviously neurologists, um, there are psychiatrists, things like that, um, you know, uh, developmental pediatricians. There are other individuals making that diagnosis and prescribing medication, but still right now, the majority of the time, it's the pediatrician. So for us, when I knew that we were going to most likely be, you know, requesting and trying out medication. That was when we got the diagnosis through the pediatrician and she was the one who prescribed the medication, if you will. So, okay. So you, as a parent, you maybe start to see this gap widen. And I loved how you described that because I think that makes a ton of sense. Like, you know, when they're little, we're kind of like, okay, well, a lot's normal. And then as it starts to they grow and and they develop and they change. If we're still suspicious, it's like we should be listening to that, I guess is what you're saying, right? Correct. Yes. So uh, let's say that, you know, that that gap has widened and I'm suspicious. And so you're saying like, I would go to maybe my pediatrician and say, hey, here's what I'm seeing. What do you think? Is that like the next step for parents that are maybe like thinking, hmm, Yes, yes. So that's a good uh, that's a good next step. And uh, again, you're you're going to hear kind of a wide range of things. Some pediatricians aren't comfortable making the diagnosis or, or anything like that, but they'll give you, you know, th- typically what they'll do is they'll at least do a screening. It's not a thorough screening, but they'll, you, you know, pretty much all pediatricians will give you some sort of screening and then they'll give you next steps, right? In terms of who you would meet with, um, t- you know, to, to determine whether or not. And again, unfortunately, there isn't a, you know, one size fits all approach, right? So some in our case, you know, they didn't do a comprehensive evaluation to make that diagnosis, right? Um, But other individuals, you know, other professionals will do a more comprehensive evaluation to make the diagnosis. But, you know, there is there isn't actually a, um, you know, a protocol that everybody follows. So in our case, our doctor made a pretty quick determination. Um, now, for me, I was comfortable with that because I already, you know, knew professionally. I knew that he had ADHD. But you know, you could always. So, for example, sometimes what happens is the school comes to you, and they're like, "Oh, you know, we, th- you know, they, they, they recommend that you meet with the pediatrician." And you know, if if parents out there are like, "Well, I think that I would like." 
you know, a more detailed or, you know, thorough evaluation, you know, there, you could ask the pediatrician for referrals for that, um, you know, to, to, to get that. Although, you know, and I, and I think you've talked about this before on your show, those evaluations, if you get them done privately, they run several thousand dollars typically. Um, and so that could be, you know, challenging. So like in our case, I was comfortable with it. Um, I felt like it, you know, our, our pediatrician was knowledgeable and she was able to take what I had to say into account. Um, and so for us, it was a pretty quick process, but I think, like I said, it varies. So I have a quick follow-up question. So if, you know, you've, cause your, your route was a little different because of the work that you do. So as a parent without, you know, your background, so I'm suspicious or the school comes to me, I go to my pediatrician, we get this, you know, this is what we think it is, official diagnosis or not. So as a parent, if you were in a sort of traditional parent situation without your background, how do you think then parents make this decision between medication and not medication? Because I'm curious that you've done both. And I'm interested, like, as a parent who maybe doesn't necessarily have all those tools right away, what do you think? What should they be asking themselves? What should they be considering once they get this diagnosis for that then next step of do we medicate or not? Yeah, and so the I think that you you kind of have to go through a few things and um, you know think about a few things. So first of all, ADHD oftentimes impacts kids socially. Um, they have a hard time um, reading like the nonverbal cues because they're not picking up on them, they're not paying attention to them, and that's one of the things that I saw. My son was having a hard time socially, right? And so. You know, that's one of the things that I would suggest that you you consider. How is your child doing socially? Um, and, you know, th- by the way, what we ended up doing before, because we didn't just rush into medication. We tried a lot of different things first. One of the things we did is we did a social skills class. Um, so unfortunately, insurance did not pay for it. Um, but I, I found a place offering social skills groups. And so I, I enrolled my son Landon into that. But, um, you know, so... Socially is one area because if your child is not is struggling socially, not connecting with others, that's going to have you know a significant impact, right? I think all of these things, and I'll, I'll list a few others. I think you're thinking about like what is the impact right now for my child, and you know if if it's a significant impact, you know then you know are there resources I can try, different things I can try, and if not, then perhaps medication is something I want to consider, right? So socially is one thing. I think the other thing, so for us, I, I'll kind of tell you like the breaking point for me this summer, and it was, we kind of had a hard summer. Um, there were two moments for me where, you know, it was kind of the breaking point. One, we were uh, in, we were visiting family, and um, my my mother-in-law's amazing. She plays like a ton with my kids, and they have so much fun with her. And my son, um, you know, they were doing something and I think she told my son he had to get off of an iPad or something because she was going to go play with him. And he was aggressive towards her. Um, and, you know, and he loves his grandma, right? And he's, you know, at this point, he's eight. And so, um, you know, developmentally, eight-year-olds aren't usually striking their grandmothers, right? Um, and so, you know, he did not hurt her, but the aggressive behavior was very concerning. So that was one instance. And then there was another instance. Um, and then, by the way, for him, immediately, he felt awful about it, right? You could tell, like, it was starting to impact his 
his view of himself, if you will. He did not want to be doing that. He loves his grandma. And then another thing, you know, um, happened for me. I don't know. Siblings can get a little bit, you know, uh, aggressive with each other from time to time, even at an older age, right? Siblings, not to say that that should be happening, but you know, it's a little bit less eye opening. But what what happened? Another thing happened this summer. We were with a a group of friends, and we're really close with these friends. Um, And they have kids our kids' age, and we hang out all the time. So sort of, they're sort of like a second set of siblings, but they're not, right? And um, what happened was our friend's daughter was on a um, a swing, a tire swing that my son wanted to get on and she wouldn't get off. And um, again, he he struck her on the back of the head and then he, he felt awful about it, right? Immediately after. And so, um, you know, that, that um, impulsive behavior that he could not control and that the, you know, and of course there's consequences, you know, I, I'm not to say, you know, I I was compassionate, but you know, there had, there were consequences. We talked about it. Um, you know, we took away a few privileges, things like that, but, um, and we could talk about, you know, things about discipline with kids um, who have ADHD later, but, you know, so I guess all that to say, um, you know, for, for us, for our situation, it was starting to understand and consider this level of impact. And we were trying all, you know, lots of things at home and at school, um, but it just, it wasn't enough. And so I was starting to be concerned, kind of like the long-term impact of, you know, what my son was going to think of himself and how and whatnot. And so for us, that was kind of the the breaking point. Now, he is not really inattentive, but for your listeners out there, you know, that, you know, in terms of level of impact, it could be, for example, that they're crying to to, to you every night when they're trying to do their homework. They can't concentrate um, or things like that. So, you know, those are all like levels of impact where you're trying different things and just they're not working. And um, it's starting to have just kind of a, a large impact. At that point, I was starting to feel ready um, to try something else. And that's why, um, you know, we, we thought about medication because here's the deal using like proactive strategies is really helpful. But what the research says is that for many kids with ADHD, um, you know, using, let's say, strategies and reward systems and things like that, they're helpful. But in and of themselves, they might not be sufficient for kids, some kids with ADHD. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm, I'm curious if you would be willing to share some of what you did in advance of getting to that point where you saw some kind of kind of events that were the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, because I know there's probably families out there who maybe are at the beginning or just got a diagnosis and might want to try some other things first or just just want to set up their home in a way that could be helpful, you know, before going to that or in addition to including medication. So are you willing to tell us a little bit about what you had done before this point or still do? I mean, I mean that's welcome as well. Yeah. So I would definitely say, um, you know, whereas medication can help, it wasn't the first thing we did. And I, I, you know, I think that, you know, parents out there trying a lot of um, proactive things before going to medication is definitely um, advised. So I like to think about it this way, like being there's in terms of 
behavior, your kid's behavior, trying like an 80-20 approach where you're doing, let's say, and putting in 80% of your effort into kind of the prevention side of things. And that can look, you know, uh, like a few different things. So things that we put into our home beforehand were were these. Um, Schedules. So um, my son thrives on a schedule. He loves a schedule. He loves to help create schedules and, you know, schedules, you know, lower anxiety um, and they, they help. So, um, you know, having a schedule in the, in the mornings and afternoons are, are very helpful. Um, So just, you know, writing down a schedule and again, having the child participate in creating the schedule will go really far because you want to increase buy-in and give back some of that control, right? You don't want to be like, here's exactly what you're doing. No, like together, let's develop a schedule of, let's say you come home and then you have snack and then we work on homework, then you have outside time, then, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So schedules can help a lot. Um, The next thing I want to say is that reward systems are really, really helpful. Um, So reward systems look different at different ages. Um, So at our home right now with our kids who are in elementary school, we actually use a what I would call like a quarter system where we have the our kids have piggy banks and um you know for certain activities that let's say doing their homework without complaining um you know getting ready on time in the morning things like that so basically what we do is we write out specific things that we're working on and our kids actually earn quarters every time they do those things and then Right now it's at the end of the month, but, you know, initially it was like at the end of the week, um, you know, basically they turn in those quarters. And by the way, we tried to uh, make it so that there was, um, you know, we're always trying to teach our kids about, you know, financial responsibility too. So that's one of the reasons why I liked using quarters with kids in elementary school, because at the end of the month, I had them put, you know, some in their savings account. We gave some away um, to our church, and then we had them spend some as well. So kind of like that, you know, spending, saving, giving model. Um, and so, you know, just by using that, it's it's interesting. I'm not saying this is true with for all kids with ADHD, but like with my son, he is just like really easy to motivate. He has his eye on the prize, if you will. He loves it. Um, and, you know, my daughter's a little bit, you know, she has, um, she struggles with her behavior less and she just kind of goes with the flow a little bit more. So, you know, quarter system, she's, she, she likes it, but my son is all about it. It's been very successful. Um, for younger kids, by the way, you might use, let's say, a star system where, you know, they earn. And by the way, the younger the child the shorter the amount of time that should go by before they earn something because they aren't able, you know, to understand that what I'm doing now, you know, uh, will I'll get a, a reward for it later. So you want to make it much shorter. But, you know, it could be something simple, um, uh, by the way. So I always, one of the things I tell parents is like, you know, we want to stay away from like, and it's funny because as we're recording this, Disneyland is closed, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um you want to stay away from those kind of like Disneyland type things where, you know, you do these things and you get Disneyland. No, like good, good luck next time. So I, you know, like <laughs> once you've given away Disneyland, you know, your kid won't want to work for anything but Disneyland. And so, um, 
No, but I, I'm being silly. But, you know, you could it could be something simple for the little kids. It's like, you know, you get to have a certain treat. You get to watch a certain TV show. Or, I mean, you could even do something. What some parents do is they get like a bin and they put some of their kids like, you know, some unique favorite toys that kids um, aren't, that they that they don't play with except when they've earned, let's say, their stars, okay? And then they get to play with this really cool bin of toys for a certain period of time. And then it goes up till the next time, right? So basically, it's kind of like that scarcity principle where, you know, you, you increase the value of what it is they're playing with so that, you know, they... they as long as so that they don't have access to it all the time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's we talk a lot about like finding a kid's currency. Yes. Um, and and using that for both reward and for discipline. And so that's exactly it, right? Like, oh, you're almost creating currency that way. Yeah. That's yeah. Super smart. I love that. One thing I try to encourage parents to stay away from is this. So it's very tempting, and I mean, I've been there. Okay. To, to start taking away quarters, let's say, like, you did this, now I'm taking your quarter away. Actually, from a technical perspective, what you're doing then is you're basically turning your reward system into a punishment system, okay? And it's not to say that, you know, you might – there can still be, you know, specific decided upon consequences for acting out, okay? But I always encourage parents to not incorporate, um, and different people might have different opinions on this, but to not incorporate punishment into their reward system. So, you know, you might still use some sort of like time out or something if the child acts out, but try to stay away from taking away of quarters or stars or things like that. Because then what happens sometimes is that your kid, you kind of like lose your kid's buy-in, if you will, to the system. And then they're like, I don't care. I don't want to earn quarters. I don't want to earn stars. So you want to keep that as positive as possible um, so that you keep their their buy-in, if you will. So one of the things um, that we did that was really successful too is that we incorporated our reward system at school as well. So even though Landon doesn't receive special education, and he, by the way, this year, him being on medication, he doesn't have a you know reward system at school. He doesn't need one. But um, in the past, we've had the teachers help with that reward system so that there's kind of like continuity at home in school, which... Um, is helpful. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that he was able to get that continuity. And that makes perfect sense because then everybody's kind of working together to help him navigate this. Yes. Yes. It let his it helped his teachers, you know, actually change their behavior a little bit as well. So his teacher in kindergarten was a little frustrated with him and was kind of, um, you know, being more punitive, if you will. But by, you know, her by me saying like, hey, let's work together with this reward system. It actually changed her behavior a little bit, too. And she was much more positive with him, which I thought was really cool. So I have a question for families that are most of us, <laughs> um, you know, we've been in this very unusual time with kids home for extended periods of time. And it's, you know, April 20th is when this episode airs. So we will have been in that for quite some time. Um, but I'm curious, are there any things that parents who have kids with ADHD should be doing or should not be doing while the kids are at home for this great length of time? Like you mentioned a schedule. should I assume they should try and create an at-home schedule to give them that support. Are there other things that parents can be doing that might look different because they have a child with ADHD at home? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I definitely think that, you know, incorporating a schedule, incorporating a reward system is um, is helpful. Um, you know, I, I do think it's kind of a unique period of time because I think socialization is super important, but um, it's socialization looks a little bit different right now, obviously. Um, and so trying to create that you know, continuity and structure for them. It might be, you know, more, let's say, FaceTime meetings with friends, but, you know, allowing them to still continue to have socialization, work on their social skills is important. Um, I also think, um, you know, involving others in their life. So for example, what we're doing right now um, is that my son's grandmother meets them on Zoom and helps them with some of their academics every day as well. Um, Since, you know, being around uh, people like grandparents as, you know, we're not doing that right now, right? And so um, I think trying to find ways for them to socialize in a unique way um, and then, you know, allowing those those pillars in their life who they might not be able to see all the time, you know, it, incorporating them into the schedule um, it gives them a sense of purpose and it allows, um, you know, gives take some of the burden off of you as a parent to do everything and allows us all to collaborate. I don't know. Those are just two ideas off mm. the top of my head. No, those are great. Really, really helpful because this does look super different and families need to have creative, I think, ideas of how to navigate it. I think we all have to get a little bit good at thinking outside the box right now. So that's wonderful. And and please, 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 before we finish up, make sure to tell our listeners like where they can find you, your website, your podcast again, and all of those things so they can connect with you, social media handles, if you have those, just tell us how we can find you. Yeah. Well, first off, I have a great resource for all of your listeners. So they can go to prismbehavior.com, P-R-I-S-M behavior.com forward slash free guide. And they can actually download a resource where um, it it walks you through um, kind of the basics of setting up a reward system with kids of different ages. So hopefully that will be really helpful. Um, And then, yeah, my website is Prism Behavior. And on Instagram, I'm Prism Behavior. And then my podcast is Prism Behavior parenting. Awesome. Heather, thank you so much for being with us today. I feel like a lot of our listeners who have children with ADHD are going to benefit a lot from this episode, but I also feel like parents with kids that don't have ADHD are going to benefit a lot from this episode. Like So many great tips and tools and just really appreciate um, your knowledge. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Heather. No, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Well, we hope that that proved helpful to you, whether you're dealing with ADHD, something else, or maybe not, and just needed a couple other strategies for consistency across home and school, whatever you might be facing. We're hopeful that there were some helpful nuggets that you could take away in there. And we're grateful that Heather took the time to speak with us. We did also want to remind you listeners that we've recently released our anxiety course. It's an online course all about navigating anxiety with children. Although there's probably some tips adults can definitely use too. But we literally talk about everything from the science of anxiety 
to how to identify it in your children, what kind of things might you be watching for, all the way to some really helpful tools in terms of navigating that. What are things you should be doing? What are things you maybe should be trying to avoid as you help your anxious child or teen? And so we really recommend that to you, but we also want to recognize that not everyone has the bandwidth for taking in an online course right now. But if you are interested, if you go to our online courses tab on our website, futurefocusedparenting.com, you can find it there. Yep. So be sure to check it out. I'm really proud of it. I, I mean, I'm proud of all of our courses, but this one this one just strikes a chord with me for some reason. I think it's really helpful. And I think there's a lot of parents out there that are that are looking for this right now. And so if we can be helpful, we want to be. Anxiety certainly is an important and relevant topic right now. And we're seeing a lot of it in general, but also in young people. And so parents having the tools to navigate that I think is so important. So yeah, I'm really pleased with how it turned out. And we're excited to make that available to all of you. Yeah. So don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Future Focused Parenting. We've got lots of great stuff on social these days and you do not want to miss it. And if you haven't yet subscribed to our podcast, please click subscribe. We love all of you subscribers and loyal listeners out there. And then you don't miss any episodes. And that's so great, too. You get all all the stuff. So definitely hop on that subscription train if you haven't yet. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded partially in Kira's laundry room and partially in Dina's bonus room. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks for listening. <laughs>